Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders that are taking what the market gives and then some. We feature leaders and teams that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and doing it predictably and sustainably. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Exvoyant, the one-on-one sales improvement platform that's transforming how high-growth sales leaders use Salesforce around the world. Create one-on-ones your reps will thank you for and use Exvoyant to help your sales managers create unique plans for every rep on your team. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we've got you. Hello and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. Today, we are joined by Dave Kennett, founder and CEO of Replays. Dave has been a senior sales leader for over 15 years. As a leader, he learned firsthand the importance of coaching done right, but he knew there had to be a better way to do it at scale. This led him to founding Replays, a solution offering on-demand sales tune-ups for inside account executives from the world's best inside sales reps. Dave and his company have helped sales teams accelerate growth by developing better sales skills at scale, and it's something I'm super excited to explore with them. Dave, thank you so much for joining our show, and, and, uh, and welcome to the show. Hey, Rob. Thanks a lot for having me. I'm looking forward to our discussion. Yeah, I, uh, I'm a coaching junkie. We have had, I don't know, 80 guests on the show that run sales teams of different sizes, all in high growth mode, kind of like what you do. And coaching always comes up. So when I found another guy that's that's like trying to help fix what's happening with coaching, I had to have you on. So thanks so much for joining us. Can you tell all of our listeners a little bit, little bit about Replay and, and Replays and what it is you guys do? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, being a sales leader for many years and one that believed in coaching, I just found I didn't have as much time to coach as I would have liked. And if you were to interview the folks that uh, – reported uh, to me throughout the years, they'd probably say the same thing. And so I figured, you know, this is something we need to try and solve for in our industry. And I think there's lots of great technology out there um, where we help inform interesting insights about conversations through AI, etc. But I think there's an opportunity to take uh, the very best sales reps out there and have them coaching uh, reps on how to how to really up-level their game when it comes to discovery and demos. And so what Replays does is it's an on-demand sales coaching company, meaning that uh, sales reps will send us recordings, their Zoom recordings, et cetera, of their discovery and demo calls. Our team of sales professionals and coaches review those, provide video-recorded feedback, and then upload it to their Slack or their G Drive so they can consume it on their own time or not taking time away from key selling hours. We upload a quick two-pager on, hey, here's what went well. Here are the do differentlies, we call them, right, the learning opportunities. And then here are like the two or three things we want to see next time. And then we have a quick live one-on-one session with them for 30 to 45 minutes outside of their key selling hours. And we rinse and repeat every few weeks. And so that's – we serve to um, help sales leaders to um, really coach as much as they'd like to. And we help sales reps up their game and, and obviously win more deals. All right. I love it. I love this tune-up concept that you, that you talk about. And I want to talk about uh, how we do that as we get into this. I, I got a ton of questions about it. But before we do, let's get into you. I, you have a really interesting background. You've been a senior sales leader for a long time in, in a few different organizations of different types as well. Maybe you can just take a couple of minutes and introduce our listeners to your story and, and what led you not, not just to the sales, but ultimately to founding Replace. Yeah, sure. I have always enjoyed sales. Uh, right outside of getting out of university, um, in fact, during university, during a co-op term, I worked for a water company and I was slinging water from door to door trying yeah. to get people piled, right? And so that, for me, I was kind of hooked. I like enjoyed the thrill of it. I would get back at the end of a, a long day and the folks in the office would be like, okay, well, how many did you get? And I'd be like, I remember, remember 10 was like the gold standard. I remember like the, the, the person that was doing it the summer before me, average 10. I was like, I wanted to crush that. And, I, and, and so I would come back and be like, oh, I got 12 today. And, and just that feeling, I realized that not only did I already know I was competitive by nature, but I enjoy people and I enjoy solving problems. And you combine that all together and it's like, ah, a sales career probably makes sense. And so, you know, from there, I, um, I worked in startup world for, for a while and really enjoyed it. Uh, someone said, 
you know, Dave, try and get big business experience early. You can learn on their dime. So went big business for like 10 years, worked for uh, WW Granger. Wow. Uh, so now, yeah, as you know, 15, I believe it's $15 billion company now. And, um, and so industrial products, A to Z and, and what a great learning opportunity that was got into sales leadership, uh, there. And then I moved on to auto trader where I was charged with helping with the digital transformation from print as print was really accelerating, uh, the, the, the death spiral, <laughs> um, and digital was, was growing. And so was charged with helping lead the digital change, uh, for British Columbia, uh, here in Canada and did that for three and a half years. And then I really wanted to get back to startup life. Um, and so I've been in startup world the last handful of years and I would come in as a vice president of sales and really work hard to build and scale the team. And, um, and it's just been a phenomenal experience over the last handful of years. And so that led up to, you know, uh, eight, 10 years ago, we didn't have video recordings and screen shares that we could actually review in a right. meaningful way. Well, right. now it's, uh, it's commonplace. And so it presented an opportunity in the market to assist sales leaders and sales reps in a way that we haven't done before. And so um, I, I started, you know, with my consulting customers saying, hey, is this something you'd be interested in? Yeah, it would. What would you pay for it? You know, I just wanted to see, is there yeah. product market fit or is it there? Um, and a few customers started paying for it and, I, and got to the point where the demand was so high, it like just made sense to jump in full time. And I did that this last year and haven't looked back. Congratulations as a, as a, from one co-founder to another. I love hearing those stories and I congratulate you on, on figuring out. That's, I, I, I think a lot of people like the idea of starting a company and very few understand really what goes into actually making that happen. Yeah, and so I, I relate to that story a lot, man. So thank you for sharing it. So let's yeah. let's get into what it is that I really want to focus on. So we have sales leaders from around the world that are on our show. We have thousands of people that listen to us every week. And, uh, and there's a lot of building blocks for sales success that have emerged. One of the ones that sales leaders are pointing to more and more often is the importance of coaching, development. Uh, the great leaders hire really well, and then the great leaders – even more important than who they hire, they're really good at developing people. And so I want to talk a little bit about that. My personal belief, I have a strong opinion. I have a big point of view on this. I think coaching is emerging as one of the hottest topics in sales right now. Clearly, you've started a company around coaching. Um, with all these different points of view, what coaching is, what it isn't, how do you get it right, how do you get it wrong, uh, I'd love to get your take on, you know, why is coaching something everybody's talking about right now? And why is it so hard to get right? Because Boy, I'll tell you, everybody's talking about it, but we're hearing over and over that very few leaders actually get it right. Yeah, I think it's hard to get right because people underestimate it. They underestimate hmm. the importance of actually following a repeatable, scalable process. And when you look at folks that are just starting out in sales, they don't have the runway behind them of experience. And so, uh, yeah, they may have listened to some great podcasts and read some great books, but until you've actually started practicing it and practicing specific techniques that you can use to make the most out of your prospects time and your time, then um, you're, you're just simply not going to be as successful as you could be. So I think it's because people underestimate the importance of a actually having a sales process. Uh, that's one problem. A lot of companies just don't have a process to actually coach to. So you have to a solve for that. And then B, once you have that, it's about practice, right? You could roll out the best sales program in the world. And as you know, if there's no follow-up and you're not actually building a coaching culture where there's role plays weekly and that kind of thing, it's just going to fall flat. All right, man. I'm writing down notes furiously. We're going down a rabbit hole quick. I can't, we're on my very favorite topic right now. And I can't wait to get, go a little deep with a guy that lives in this, in this world with me. Nice. So you talked about process. You talked about sales process. Let's let, and you're right. You have to have a sales process or else you can't coach without a doubt. I'm with you. Um, a lot of people think they have a sales process, but how they execute it is completely different. I want to go to a place that very few people go to though. Let's talk about the importance of a coaching process. How often do you see people or organizations actually have a coaching process, not just a sales process? Very seldom. Yeah. So it's, uh, I, I, you know, if I had to throw a percentage out there, I'm going to say less than 5% of organizations. You're good if you're just throwing it out because I've, I've actually worked on it with Jim Dickey of Sales Mastery, and, and Jim thinks the number is about 3%. So your gut and your, your take is what I found as well. 3% is what we're finding. 
Yeah, that's it's unfortunate, isn't it? It's a, one of those things that the three percent that do it, uh, they never go back. They realize that wow, this is, and, and but they keep it a secret because they don't want their competitors doing it, right? <laughs> Without a doubt. Yeah. So, so first of all, I, I, so we agree on this. Very few people have a coaching process, yet everyone talks about it. Why do you think it's – why is there this big gap? Why is there not coaching processes? Because here's how I look at it, Dave, I'll, and then I'll, I'll shut up, and I really can't wait to hear what you say. I look at sales process as a way of us saying we want to have a consistent approach for how we connect to prospects and help them make informed buying decisions, okay? Mm-hmm. I look at the coaching process as how do we connect with our reps and help them make informed decisions on how they intentionally improve. Yeah, for sure. So why do we not have that? Why, why is that missing? It starts with the vice president of sales and their background and, or the CRO. And, and so I think if they came up through, um, through different organizations that had a strong coaching culture, uh, then it's typically something that they're going to carve out budget for and they're going to fight for budget for and they're going to make uh, a priority in the, in the organization. Um, so that's number one. And as we just talked about, if 3% of organizations actually have a solid coaching system, then 97% of sales leaders probably don't have that foundation to start with. Now, you and I both know that, you know, way more uh, than, um, like, there's a lot, there's a lot of sales leaders, and it's way more than 3% that actually came up with sales process, right? But it's, you know, did they, were they in a culture where it was ingrained in the DNA, right? That's the 3%. And so uh, I think that's number one, you know, are they going to put a priority? Number two, are they going to fight for budget for it? And then number three, the vice president of sales has to hire sales leaders that also believe in coaching, also know how to coach, and that needs to be one of the top three or four competencies they're looking for, and that just doesn't happen a lot of the time. So, you know, I, I just have to say it starts at the top. Great answer. I like it. And you, The other word, so we talked about process for a minute, and I, I'll get off of it because we could probably talk for our whole 40 minutes on just process, yeah, but, yeah. but I don't want to do that right now. Maybe that's another episode where we do that. We'll just, we'll just do that. Okay. You've talked about culture at least three times now, and culture is another thing that can, in my mind, be a buzzword. Um, uh, people define culture different ways, but I like it. I talk about culture a lot, too. I always say culture first, skills second. And uh, we've got to create this co- coaching culture. And in my mind, that's an expectancy that we're going to, what we're going to do and why we do it. Can you talk a little bit about culture and what, what you mean when you say that and maybe why that's so important if you want to have consistency? Yeah, for sure. I, I think training and development, learning and development, um, if it's woven in the fabric of the culture, then from a sales perspective, sales coaching will just come naturally. And if you look at specifically a sales organization, and I think some of the key attributes of a true coaching culture, it's where you're rewarding vulnerability. You know, you and I both know, uh, we've we've experienced it and we've seen it time and again, that it's way tougher for an account executive or an SDR to actually sell in front of a peer than it is to actually do it in front of a customer, right? So to do role plays, it's being vulnerable and it's scary. Mm. And so- there's a lot of truth to that, Dave. I'm glad you pointed that out because you're right. Yeah, so I, I think, number one, you need to create a safe environment where you, as a sales leader, reward people for taking a risk and getting up in front of a couple people and doing a role play. And then, uh, you know, number two, I think you need to systematize it in the culture. So I think it's it's one thing for people to say, yes, we're a coaching culture. Okay, but what are the signs of that? What, what are the artifacts? What do I see in your day-to-day that tell me that that's actually fact. And I think that's where you build it in to your sales huddles. I think you build it in to um, your, you know, you actually have sales training on top of the huddles on a weekly basis. And I'm a big advocate of role plays at minimum weekly, but I think it actually should be daily where you're, you get the peers uh, in a group where it's like divide them into threes, right? One person's a seller, one person is the buyer, one person's the observer and away you go. Or you listen to calls, and then you observe afterwards that, uh, and, and, and critique it. So those are some of the things that uh, – some of the hallmarks that I would look for in a, in a culture, co- coaching culture. You know, I, I really like this. This is good. I asked you, you know, why, why is this hard to get right? And, and your answer was we underestimate the complexity. And, and then when we dove into it, it, it was we, understand, we underestimate what it means to have a coaching process, and we underestimate how hard it is to build a culture and – and I think you're right. I, I actually think those are two things. And I think underestimate is the word. 
and, and, and to really like explore a little further, I really want to get your take on this study that we participated in with Gong um, identified that 83% of sales managers, they think they're awesome at coaching. They think they got this. Yeah. You don't need to invest or train me on this. I got this, right? I, I, I'm, I'm the man. I'm the guy. I got this. Right. But we asked the reps that work for them, how's the coaching stuff going? <laughs> and they said, first of all, 48% of the time it never happens. And when it does, only 13% of the time is it helpful. So I, that's a huge coaching gap. And so as a guy who's an expert and lives in this coaching world and you help people build coaching culture and coaching process uh, and try and probably make that gap uh, get closer, how do you, how, why do you, first of all, why do you think leaders think they're great at it and reps think they suck? What, what's the cause for that? And then the second, anything you can recommend that leaders that are listening to the show right now, how do they create a coaching culture that reps would actually thank them for? Right. I think it comes down to two things. It, again, it starts at the top where uh, I think there needs to be a dedication and support for those frontline managers so that they've actually got um, a, a process they're coaching to as well as a process to coach because uh, coaching is a skill and an art in and of itself. And it's one of those things that can be done badly as uh, the, the reps in that survey indicated. And so I, I think now, so, but to get back to your question, it's like, okay, for those that are listening that are frontline manager, like, that's great, Dave, but I'm not going to go to my VP and say, we need X million dollars to do this. What can I do today? I think the answer is take it upon yourself to A, find um, a training program that you can get plugged into. Invest in yourself if the company won't pay for it. And and it, I, I tell you, paying 500000 bucks to, to get into a program I think is important. Uh, oh, and by the way, I'm not talking replace I, at all. I'm talking like a lot of local institutions, universities, that kind of thing have it, right? And there's a lot of yeah. courses. Yeah. Um, and then I think that the, the second thing is having a mentor, right? Find mm. someone, whether it's within your organization or an external one that you know to be a good coach um, or talk to your reps and say, hey, who's been a good coach in your experience and, and partner with that person. And that'll help bridge that gap because, you know, it, it's, it's what we like to call um, uh, unconscious incompetence, right? Yep. You've heard that before where yep. you don't know that you're not good at it because, you know, I could be like surfing and be like, well, I'm not really surf much. I bet you I'm going to be good at it. And then I try it. I'm like, you know, get my butt kicked by a wave. I'm like, okay, I suck at surfing. Right. So you, you get your butt kicked. And if you've got these reps, they're not going to kick your butt and tell you. Right, uh, right. I, I think also in an organization, you need two-way feedback, right? That It's a, a shame that these reps um, aren't able to have a voice to the organization to say, hey, the coaching sucks here. Um, and, and I think that's also a systemic issue as well. Well, I, those are really good insights. And, and, and for me, that's the lens. I had another guest that came on once, and I'll be interested to get your take on this, Shep Maher of BetterWorks. And Shep said that what he does with his team is, is uh, for, he'll make coaching optional, but recommended. And he always wants to see, does everybody actually opt into the coaching and who opts out? And, and I thought that was a really cool lens of if you gave your reps the opportunity to say, nah, I don't need this. How many actually would and wouldn't? I think that speaks volumes to the impact you're having as a leader. I think so. I love that. I think that's fantastic. And, you know, uh, another thing that occurs to me is we've got so many, uh, I've been in tech for a number of years. There's just so many tech organizations that have been taking off. And so they'll hire folks um, before they've actually got the experience to necessarily lead that team. Right. right. And so I, I think a lot of the sales rep feedback is, Hey, I can't actually take something meaningful from this person because they haven't lived a day in the life of what I'm doing. So I think it's, I think, it's a symptom of the fact that we need to ensure that we're putting the right leaders in place that will have the respect of the team so that they can actually coach on the things that they're supposed to be coaching on in an effective way. So I want to get into a little bit about some of the things you've learned. You've learned some interesting things that would be really good for our leaders. You know, what are the top things that you might coach to and on? I want to, I want to get to that in a second. But before we do, I mean, you work with these leaders, you help build these cultures and and you really help the leveling up process in a, in a way that I think is really cool. Um, as you look back over your career and as you look at the companies you work with, any thoughts about role? I think part of why we have this coaching gap is there's a role, you know, reps want coaching and maybe leaders deprioritize it and that's why they don't make time for it. What do you think the primary role of a leader is or should be? Sales leader, I guess. 
I think that the primary role of the leader is a make sure that you yourself are clear on what the objectives are. And then that the team is individually and as a group. And uh, that should be a no brainer and that should be table stakes, but it's often, uh, yeah. no. it's interesting yeah. how often that isn't. And then the next thing is a hundred percent, making sure you got the right people in the right positions on the team. And then it's supporting the hell out of them. You know, it's, it's, uh, I just think it's such a shame when you're in a um, organization where you see egos at the sales leadership level and um, that just serves to be toxic in the culture. And if my, my experience has been that if you're truly there to support the heck out of the team, to support the heck out of the prospect and their buying decision, you're going to get it right most of the time. And by the way, I'm not standing on a podium saying, Hey, I've always done this. Aren't I awesome? I tell you, I've learned from the school of hard knocks. And I've, I, if, if you've got a cross section of folks who reported me to me over the years, uh, you get some people saying, man, I don't remember that Dave Kennett guy being like that. <laughs> people say the same thing about me. Don't worry, man. I've yeah. had plenty of people say, Rob, man, I worked for you. Uh, it ain't like that, man. So I get what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. but I've evolved over time. I'd like to think I've evolved over time. So over the years through experience, I've gotten a little truer to, I think that North star. So great leaders are like a fine wine. They they just get a little better with age, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so before we get in, I keep I keep wanting to get to this other thing that I told you I want to get to, but you keep you keep talking uh, this stuff that I that I I find so helpful and so and so interesting. You know, as as you talked about just now, making objectives clear as part of the role. Um, and then I loved what you said: support the hell out of them. And, and that seems so obvious: support the hell out of them. But most don't. That's why we have this turnover. I, I, I thought that the turnover rate, at least in the United States, was 26%. So I had a recruiting expert for sales get on with me. And she told me it's in the 30s now, 30% turnover of salespeople. So clearly those people do not feel like that the hell is being supported out of them, right? Yeah. Probably the hell is instead being beat out of them. Right. <laughs> and, and, um, and one of the things that crossed my mind as I listened to you, Dave, and I appreciate your willingness to kind of pull back the layers and, and go a little bit deep rather than just be superficial. Yeah, yeah. I think we've got a lot of leaders that read dashboards and use their top secret spreadsheets and they say, I'm data driven. And what's the role of using data for supporting the hell out of people? Because I don't think you want to beat people with data. I think you want to use it to know where to have conversations What's the difference in how you, you like spreadsheet leadership and where does that fall into play if you're going to support the hell out of someone? Well, I think we owe every salesperson that reports to us, um, at least every salesperson that reports to me, I owe them the um, transparency and visibility on uh, A, what success looks like and, and predictability, right? So if um, A, once we've defined success and what that looks like, I, I think it's really important to then ensure that there's a way that's effective to track that and for better or for worse. And uh, those objectives need to be fair, right? They need to be something that as a sales leader, I can sleep at night knowing that these are the objectives I've set for my team and hopefully they can as well. Yep. Uh, but I think metrics play a massive role and I think they're extremely important. And I, I think, um, but they have to be uh, uh, where metrics get a bad rap is where there's like, an arbitrary top down, we're going to do 40% growth year over year. And it's like, well, why and how we only did an average of 5% in the last eight years and you're not investing more in marketing. So, you know, those are the kind of things where people check out and they're like, I don't believe in metrics. Yeah. I, I love that you went there. That's good because I, listen, I think that we, if we don't keep score, we don't, we're not predictable first of all. And I think 80% of the variance in sales can actually be predicted in three very specific metrics. But I've also found that too many leaders hide behind numbers because they don't know how to help people improve, right? right? Yeah. Which is the perfect entree to what I've been leading up to with you. Yeah. You guys have done some really interesting work. You've been helped. You guys are an on-demand coaching uh, place. So you, you're not just supporting the leaders. You're actually augmenting them and helping people get better. You know, what are, what are the kind of, in, in the best practices of coaching, and what are like the top three or whatever things that you see people need to really make sure they're helping them get better at? So I think if we were, we need to look at that by role, I suppose. And, uh, you know, if we were to look at it by, let's say, account executive, yeah. uh, you're right. You know, we, we've watched, we have the benefit of watching hundreds of hours 
of footage of sales discussions. Some great, some not so great. Um, and and I would imagine. But what we do see is what the best out there are doing, um, and it reinforces you know our replays methodology. So a few quick things because uh, I'm sure the folks that are listening are, are interested. Like what are the three you know the two or three things we can take from this? No doubt. And so like one thing right now would be discovery. We just don't see account executives spending enough time on discovery. So they'll get the qualification notes from the SDR or whatever the sort of vectors were from or heuristics from an inbound lead. And they'll jump on and be like, okay, let me show you, share my screen and show you the demo. And we absolutely think uh, you should be spending at least 10 minutes, sometimes 20, sometimes 30, obviously depending if it's a transactional sale or if it's an enterprise sale, vastly different, right? But at least spending a good measure of time at the beginning on discovery. So that, that would be tip number one. So, so can we push pause on that before yeah. we get to tips number two and three? Yeah. What makes for a good discovery? That's that's really awesome and I like it. And we've had some people talk about the most important thing to get right. Jake Dunlap came on and said that if, there's, if you just get the discovery right, you'll solve 85% of your problems. So I relate to what you're saying. Yeah. So, so, okay, so instead of just saying it gets discovery, what's a couple of things? Because it's got to be more than just how much time you spend on it. Are, are there any things that you, for our leaders and reps that are listening right now that you'd say, hey, these are a couple things you really want to consider if you want to get discovery right? Yeah, for sure. And you're right. It's absolutely less about the time, more about the quality of questions you're asking. And it's being, about being naturally curious and really understanding mm-hmm. what are the true pain points that you're, that this organization is facing. I think all too often a sales rep will come into a discussion with a hypothesis of what they think the uh, prospect is challenged with, but they'll never actually test that hypothesis by asking the right questions. And so understanding, um, you know, what, I, I love asking questions like this, like what's keeping you up at night um, with respect to, um, you know, this solution that we're talking about? Uh, what are some of the, what's the feedback that you're getting from other stakeholders with respect to the current solution that you have in place? Um, you know, what are, um, you know, what's the impact? So once they start talking about that, often a rep will just stop there and kind of move on where we recommend you just, you really dive in deep, as you know, around the impact, right? Like, you know, tell me more about how that, you know, what is the impact of that? Oh, wow, that's holding up sales. Okay, well, how, how do you think that held up sales last quarter? Oh, really, you think it probably had a 5 or 10% difference? Okay, so then what you're learning, you're able to tie in at the end, you know, uh, well, if you don't move forward, you're telling me that you're going to have a 5 to 10% impact on sales again this quarter. Does that really make sense? So those are some of the things that we really recommend that people double click on the, the pain, the consequence of the pain, the pain of status quo, and how it influences various stakeholders. Two words I wrote down as you did this that was great that I want to just reiterate. The reason I'm not just blowing by is I think that you're onto something big and I want our listeners to really have this sink in. Two words that I, I heard you say, one of them I, I don't know that I hear said often when I talk about this, and that's why it struck me. Use the word hypothesis. Mm-hmm. It took me back to school in the days of the scientific method, right? <laughs> yeah. And and I don't think enough salespeople go in with a hypothesis. I think they go in winging it, saying, well, you know, if I can get them to admit something, then I'll use their their admission against them, and, and I'll try and use that to force them into seeing a demo or something. Yeah. But I like the idea of a hypothesis. It's a well-structured, well-thought-out, this is what I think, this is what I have reason to believe. I like the idea of taking a hypothesis into a discovery and then either proving it or disproving it by getting to the impact conversation that you said. I really like that. That's that's strong. Thank you, you for sharing that. It. Yeah, you bet. We find that the reps that do that make the most headway for sure. Okay. So that was number one. I'll push push play again. I'll unpause it. So as Wayne's Rule said, game on again. Yeah. And, uh so, so let's get on to number two. If discovery was, was number one, what's number two? I think really being able to concisely articulate your differentiators. What are the, the two or three things that your organization does that are game changers? I see uh, reps all the time that spend four or five minutes going on this long diatribe, A to Z, everything under the sun on how they can help, when really um, it's about being tight on, here's how we can help. We call it the what, uh, and then the so what. Well, this is how it's going to help you. And, and impact your business, and then the customer story. So what, so what, customer story. We recommend you do that all in one minute. And the customer story, I tell you, Rob, I, I hear, we see this all the time in the replace videos we watch. Uh, reps saying, hey, we've got a good case study on that. I'm going to send it to you later. 
We're like, no, like share it right now. You've got them there. You know, they're not going to open it later. <laughs> like take, so, and then even then we see when people do share case studies, we hear this long four minute case study and we're always telling people you need to slim down the amount of time that you're on there with the prospect. Well, a great way to do it is one minute sound bites where it's the what, the so what, the customer story and role play that. So that, that would be love number it. two. That's, I love that. So, you know, again, you picked another great one that I love this, this fact of differentiation. I've, I found that it doesn't have to be if you think you're better or worse, but if you can show clearly how you're different and then you can have conversations around why that difference matters. That's a really good place to be. And so, so I love your idea of training and coaching around 30 second to a 60 second commercial on that differentiation. Uh, because that probably makes you much more memorable. Is that why that matters? Does it help with being memorable? Or w- why do you see that being so important? Yeah, that's exactly why. You know, we're humans. Uh, we, we always have to remind the folks that uh, we're coaching that we're humans selling to humans. And we are wired such that stories tend to resonate, right? When, when you're picturing what that conversation is going to look like after you're off the call and they're huddling with their buying team, and, you know, you wish you could be a fly on that wall. Are they going to remember metrics or are they going to remember stories? They probably yeah. remember stories. So seed in stories that are going to highlight your key differentiators that those prospects can then remember. So, so, so discovery first, we're going to bring the scientific method. Uh, differentiation second, we're going to bring the stories. What's yeah. third? Leave enough time at the end to have the pricing and next steps discussion. Can't tell you how often there's two minutes left. And the sales rep goes, well, we've got two minutes left. Um, here's our pricing, but, you know, let's have, uh, hopefully we can talk again in another call. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You need to leave enough time, and we say 10 to 15 minutes, to really have that powerful discussion around pricing. And, again, depends on whether it's a transactional sale or an enterprise sale. If it's an enterprise sale, you're probably scheduling that closing call, right? And, we, and that's great, and we get that. But if it's a more transactional sales motion, you got to leave that 10 minutes at the end to have that important discussion. So that's an interesting, I've heard a lot of schools of thought on when you talk price. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your opinion of when it's an appropriate time to talk price with a customer? I think ideally at the end of the discussion, once they've understood the value, but as, as you know, we both know, probably more than 50% of the time, the prospect is going to ask you way before then, hey, hey, yeah, that's all great. What's your price? And yeah. what I would recommend there is don't brush them off. You know, I see a lot of reps brush them off because their sales leader tells them, no, you can't have the pricing discussion until the end. And the fear of God is in that sales rep. And they're like, okay, yeah, no, sorry, we can't. And, and it almost, you know, as you know, we, we want to build trust and credibility as quickly as possible with our prospects. And one great way to like diminish that is say, is to dismiss them and say, I know you want that, but no. So what, what we recommend is best of both worlds. Acknowledge the question, uh, walk through the pricing structure very quickly. Structurally, I want to show you how it is. And then in terms of ballpark, here's a range. But at the end of the call, I can actually give you a more custom sense. Does that make sense? And then, boom, you've satisfied their curiosity. You haven't dodged their question. You haven't dismissed them. They feel heard. And you made your boss happy because you're saving the actual pricing conversation until after they've heard the value. So I like that because, you know, when, when someone asks, the, I always find that an interesting question. When's the right time to talk price? For, for me, it's like when the customer needs you to is the right answer. You have to. And I think you're right. You don't want to brush them off. But, you know, when they ask that, if they ask it really early, then many times they're just trying to use you to beat up vendor A and B that they're already looking at. Yeah. And I always say that the ideal time is when you when you can understand how you create value. So then you can say this is what it costs. But I, I like this. So, so again, your three things, discovery first, differentiator second, and we're going to bring scientific method. We're going to bring stories. The last one, you're going to bring structure when you bring pricing and next steps. Yeah. And, um, and, and I like that. Do you find um, that of these three that there's any one that stands out that's the one that they that reps have the most problem with? Yes, customer stories by by far. You know, I I hear on average I hear zero customer story. Like like really? On, yeah, it's like. And then we will ask a rep in our feedback at replays. Okay, next time we'd like you to you know infuse a customer story, and we still won't hear it. There's like this hesitancy. And so why do you think that is? I think I think the power of customer stories isn't something that newer reps really appreciate the value of. I don't think they understand 
the impact of it. And I also think one of the challenges is it's tough to get their hands on stories sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so, and I, and I get that, but I don't let them use that as an excuse because as a, a seller myself, I never use that as an excuse. Like often I hear, well, customer success is working on it. I'm like, you could call any customer you want right now, as long as you get your boss approval and be like, hey, I'd love to hear your experience last year. And whatever they're telling you, right, find the power users of your solution, call them and get sound bites. It's going to be so authentic when you're relaying that to a prospect that I can't even begin to explain how impactful that would be. So that, that's what we recommend our, our uh, customers do. That's interesting to me that the stories is the one that you see missing the most often. So let's, let's start, let's stay on that for a minute. You know, we got a few more minutes here before we're going to start to run out. And since this is the one that's, those are your big three. I love those big three, by the way. So if our listeners take those three things, thanks to replays for bringing us those three things, we need to build coaching around each of those, those uh, conversations and treat them as their own kind of pillar as I listen to you, like a three-legged stool kind of concept. So let's talk about the story one. Is it because it's hard to make the story their story? I would imagine salespeople want to have a customer story be that salesperson story, like they have ownership around the story. Is that part of why this is hard? And if it is, or even if it isn't, how how do you make stories their stories? Is there any tips around that? Yeah, I think there's uh, a couple things there. So I think the first thing that holds people back is they don't have enough arrows in the quiver kind of thing, right? So the one story they might have not might not actually be applicable to the pain point that they're uncovering with their prospects. So that's where it makes sense. You've got to have a bevy of stories. Um, in terms of making it your own, I, I think that's where I really recommend they reach out to the actual customers. Find out who your power users are. Go to customer success. Go to your manager and say, hey, can I just reach out to these five? And I'll call and just say, hey, we wanted to know how the service is going for you. I mean, what what customer doesn't like to hear that someone's reaching out to ask how the service is? And then and then ask them, you know, w- what they love the most about it and use those sound bites. But in the absence of that, I think I think it's the passion in your voice. I think it's, you know, mm-hmm. I got to share this case study. Our, um, you know, our CEO reached out to this person and here's what they had to say. And so you're kind of making it your own because you're sharing passion, but you're also crediting, you know, the person who, who originally reached out. All right, so you've given us the three things that they got to get great at. We've, you've, you've established that, you know, you're one of the things that reps don't get enough of is practice. How do you establish a practice environment that they will take seriously? How do you establish a practice environment that they will thank you for? How do you establish a practice environment that will actually be a difference maker? I think the first thing is uh, you have to have a checklist of what does success look like, right? So if you're creating an environment for coaching, it's like, in the intro, this is what it looks like. In the discovery, this is what success looks like. Almost like a checklist. Yep. And then once you've got the checklist, it's about explaining what being vulnerable means and how to create a safe environment where you can uh, give feedback, positive, uh, but direct, direct feedback, um, and still keep the dignity of that person you're coaching intact. Um, and then I think the third thing is actually building it into the system in terms of, okay, we're going to do this daily uh, from 8 to 8.30 or 7.30 to 8 or whatever it is, uh, or maybe it's weekly, and we're going to divide into threes. You've got the customer, the seller, the observer, or you're just listening to their calls, and there's you know three people listening to calls, and they're giving their feedback at the end of the call. Uh, I think those are some of the ways, the tactical ways, that the folks listening right now can literally implement this week. All right, I love that, tactical implement this week. So last thing before we get into wrap-up mode, because I can't believe the time's gone so fast. Man, this has been awesome. Uh, Dave, thank you. It's thank flown you. by, brother. Oh, I'm enjoying uh, it. Great. Y- you talked about culture early on, and then you gave me the three things, and now you just talked about frequency of practice. Um, how do you know if you've built a culture as a leader? So Now, I want my leaders that are listening to you right now that are either stopped in traffic or on a treadmill or walking the dog or whatever they're doing right now as they're listening to you. Yeah. I want them to self-assess, self-correct. Any, any check uh, boxes you could say, hey, here's some things you should ask yourself to let you know if you've got a, a culture that's facilitating or conducive to this coaching. Yeah, for sure. I think it's where you, you've got reps that it, it takes time to build a coaching culture. For so sure. How get, long? How long, by the way? I, I'm interested. I, I wish I could sit here just like a prescription and be like, yeah. you know what? Eight weeks, where you go. You know, I, I think that you can make massive incremental steps towards a coaching culture in a very short period of time um, by, by doing key changes like the ones we discussed. 
I, I think it's where um, when you've got reps that are really excited about learning and very um, excited about doing role plays, and that takes a while. Yeah, like, I think so too. Yeah, when you first implement it, uh, one of the sort of symptoms of knowing that you don't have a co- coaching culture is people are allergic to it. Like, ooh, no, no. Right. And so one of the symptoms of having a coaching culture is you're like, okay, everyone, let's, um, everyone's going to listen to calls. We're going to break up into twos and threes. Let's do it. And people are like excited to do it. And they enjoy that part of the day. Like you can just tell the energy, I guess it's the energy um, that is around the coaching practice. And that takes, the reason I say it takes time is if you've got a team of people that have never done role plays before day one is not going to be fun. Right. right. But day 90 is going to be a lot better than day one and day 180 is going to be a lot better than day nine. Yeah. I, I think that to create what's really a culture and not just an experience, I think you're looking at at least a year. That's I what think, I think. Yeah. That's, that's actually, I think that's, that's a good number to have in your head for, and, yeah. and I don't want that to discourage people because literally you can be, it, I see role plays taking place where that afternoon, when a role play takes place in the morning, that afternoon, the sales rep that was getting coached implements that practice and, and it goes very well. So the good news is, yeah, it might take a year for someone to walk in and be like, oh, wow, this looks and feels like a coaching culture. But to actually make an influence in sales conversations. Oh, yeah, fast. Yeah, yeah, really fast, really fast, for sure. I agree with that. I was just like, for people to have an expectancy that this is here to stay, that I means agree. that you've, you've done it over time. And they're like, yeah, that ain't leaving. So. Yeah, 100%, man. Couldn't agree more. All right, man. This has been really, really good and really insightful. I want to go to our rapid fire place that we finish everything with. And so I, I can't wait to get your take on these three things. It's going to be fun. Right. You ready? You ready? I am. Let's do it. All right. Number one, biggest sales leadership challenge you've seen and how do you overcome it? Okay. On this rapid fire answer, how much time do I have? A minute or two. You got a couple minutes. Okay, so my personal experience, um, I shared a little bit earlier that we had, uh, I came in as director of sales at Auto Trader, and we had a team of print sellers where we needed to really um, become experts at selling digital solutions. And that's the biggest leadership challenge I've ever had by, okay. by a long shot. Um, and was your next question? Good one. How do you beat it? Yeah. So how do you beat it? Cause people will have their version of what you're describing right now. So transformation, how, how do you do a digital transformation? I mean, quickly, I mean, any, any blueprint for how you overcame it? Yeah. I think you got to, uh, set clear objectives of where you want to be and you got to bring the team along. And I'm going to say, you know what? I'll be vulnerable, man. I, I don't, I didn't do this perfectly. Like back in 2009, when I took over this team, like I didn't do some of the things that I'm going to recommend. So I'm going to recommend best practices based on some stuff I did and stuff, some stuff I wish I'd done. And that is, um, you know, really meeting the team where they're at. Uh, absolutely um, having, like I, I was too top down, right? Mm. It was too like, this is the way it's going to be. This is how you're going to do it. And I lost team's respect for that, man. Like a hundred percent. And so um, going back, I would, and, and so my leadership style has thankfully adapted and changed over time. Going back, I would have uh, been a lot more respectful about the process and from the ground up really helped shoulder to shoulder support them through the process. And I mean that through uh, joint sales calls and learning together and, um, and really checking in more with how people are doing um, and, and demonstrating the benefits of adapting these, these, new, these new techniques. Love it. Okay, man. Uh, last one. Well, those were both not last one. The second that was the only first one. So those that was really good. Uh, when you're interviewing people and you're helping build teams, is there a go-to interview question or topic that you found is particularly helpful for you? Yeah, my favorite topic on here is my favorite topic in interviews. I role play with them every nice. Time. You yeah. do that in the interview process. Hundred percent, man. There's not one person that's interviewed with me that hasn't had a role play, and uh, it just tells me so much. That's a really good one. I like it. That's the first time we've heard that answer on that question. So thank you. Yeah. Last one, leaders or readers. I don't care if it's books that you read or audibles that you hear or podcasts you're listening to or blogs you're going to. Is there something that you found that has been particularly helpful in your leadership journey that you'd like to share with our audience? Yeah, uh, good to great. I know it's probably an overused one. Good one. It's an oldie but a goodie. And uh, I read that early in my career, and, and it was super helpful in terms of uh, really helping me think through how to get the right people on the team uh, for yep. what we need to achieve and also informing, you know, from a leadership perspective, checking ego at the door, putting the team first. 
great one. We will uh, we'll add you to the list of people that recommended on our library. So thank you. This was awesome, man. Dave, you were a terrific guest. I love the depth you have in this coaching world as someone that's a practitioner that's more than just a tech provider. You're actually getting in and, and providing the feedback and the coaching, which is awesome, very unique. So you have a really, really important perspective that I value. For our listeners that are hearing you right now and feeling the same way I do, how do they reach out to you? How do they connect with you? How do they learn more? How do they keep the conversation going? Uh, I would love for them to connect with me on LinkedIn. Any Anyone can hit me up anytime on LinkedIn or uh, Dave at replays.com. I would love to hear from you. I'm also going to take uh, some of the sort of salient tips from what we discussed here, and I'll have it live at uh, replays.com. So that's R-E-P-L-A-Y-Z.com forward slash sales leadership podcast. So it's replays.com forward slash sales leadership podcast. Uh, if they want some of the, the tips we talked about today. And we'll be sure to put that link in the, uh, in the kind of call the note that we have on our website where we promote this as well. Dave, this was awesome. I, I love your kind of holy trinity of three things to get right. <laughs> and, uh, he, Dave and his team at replays, they are, they're bringing the scientific method, they're bringing the stories and they're bringing the structure. You get those three, three, those three things right. And you can see your team build a culture that they'll thank you for. Dave, thank you for joining us today. And as we say to everyone, happy selling. Thanks, Rob. I really enjoy it. Have a great day. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast, where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? It was really cool having Dave Kennett join us. I I really like Dave's business and what they do and trying to help people create coaching cultures and really create processes around the leadership and development function, not just the sales function. And as I listen to him talk, I go back to kind of my building blocks. And I think it's probably a good time to share that with everyone again. I believe there's four levers that we can pull that will help performance change. Lever one is the aptitude of the people you hire. Uh, you want to get people with strong sales aptitudes if possible. Lever two, you want to, uh, you know, the le- second lever that you can pull is motivation. Uh, you want to have higher motivated people. My definition there is willingness to do whatever it takes to win without cheating. Lever three is their level of skill. That's why you see so much emphasis on training. You'd rather have people that have higher level of skill for the activities related to the job than lower. And the last one is what's their perception of role. So those four levers, aptitude, motivation, skill, and role. I love asking leadership teams, if you could only pull one lever, which one do you pull? Knowing that you need all four to have ongoing, consistent improvement. But I ask them, which one will give you the most immediate bang for your buck? And the answer often surprises people. I mostly get uh, votes around skill and motivation. But what we've learned is the thing that will give you the greatest bang for your buck is uh, having more role clarity. That if you can have people have very clear understanding of what their job is and how they do it, what happens is role clarity drives how you spend your time and the tools that you use. And so if people have a clear understanding of role, then it's a lot easier to get people on the same page. And so this was really in my mind as I listened to Dave today, and I had a killer conversation with him. He talked about the very first thing that was the role of a salesperson, a sales leader, excuse me, a sales leader role is to, and I love how he said it, support the hell out of them. And, and I hope that everyone listening stops and thinks, how do you, what does it mean to support the hell out of them? Does it mean to be a cheerleader? Does it mean to be something else? Uh, does it mean to be a manager? I, I think it's a really important question that you should ask yourself is, what does it mean to support the hell out of them? Uh, I really liked that he started with that because that's role. You know, what is your role as a leader? And, and I think that he did a really good job describing what that is. And our job is to help develop them so they have a clear understanding of how to be successful. And, and, and what we talked about a lot was, really making it clear what good looks like. Because if if they understand what good looks like, if they understand every single part of the process of identifying, uh, building pipeline and winning deals, uh, if they can understand what that looks like, then you can you can do a good job uh, not just holding them accountable and having an expectancy that it will happen, but you can do a good job developing those skills and those behaviors. And I loved his three things, you know, his his three areas that, that, that he found really is helpful, better discovery sessions, better storytelling, and then better structure, particularly around pricing. Um, But he said the one that reigned supreme was having compelling stories. Then he talked about having a blueprint for how do you build a system that that has storytelling become 
a real differentiator for your reps. And it makes sense because if you can help them make the company stories their stories so they get very comfortable having conversations that your customers can relate to and buy into and, and actually see themselves uh, participating in. You know, I'm thinking of a story that I, I, I had a customer share at Dreamforce. I didn't share the story. My customer was on stage with me at Dreamforce and shared their story. And I had multiple people tell me, I want that story. It was a waste management story to be my story. I had three or four customers tell us, we want that story to be our story. That's what you want. You want your stories to compel a uh, person that's hearing it to say, I want that to be my story. And the only way you're going to get that good is if, they, if, is if your rep is, becomes a really great storyteller. So Dave gave us a killer, killer blueprint. Break down every single part of the process. Create a checklist around each part of that process. Uh, and then you can make storytelling part of that, and you can create practice scenarios. What I think was the, maybe the most important thing for me that Dave shared was this, uh, this importance for us in our role, if we're going to support the hell out of them, to create an expectancy that we will practice, an expectancy that you will be developing them, and an expectancy that it is safe and expected that every single person will practice. And sometimes it's in groups, sometimes it's individually, sometimes you know it's between reps, sometimes it's between leaders. But there is an expectancy that we will intentionally improve. There is an expectancy that we will have our practice uh, rounds be uh, in safe environments so that when we're live with the customer, we can have an expectation again that we will perform well. So I, I really like what Dave does. It was really, really great, I think, to bring him on and have him share that that approach to developing expectancy, that approach to developing a, a real clear blueprint of what great looks like. And you should ask yourself, does every rep on my team have a clear understanding of what good looks like? Does every rep on my team have a clear understanding of what they are, you know, how they prepare to fulfill their role? And do I have role clarity or do I have role conflict? Because if you don't have role clarity, I'll tell you, if you can get really good at the role clarity, then you will see an almost immediate lift in what you do. It's where I start every time with organizations when I'm working with them. What's the role and, and how, what does good look like? And then if we can create structure around that, we can expect that we can get good at it relatively fast. I hope this was a great uh, episode for you. I want to thank Dave uh, for joining us. I really appreciate him bringing some of his, his, his things that he's found and his point of view. Thanks to each of you. Continue to reach out to us. We want to get, hear more from you. Uh, we really want to continue to get some of you and, and the people that you have found influential on our show. Thank you for those of you that have been re, uh, giving us the great ratings. Please, please, please make sure you get to iTunes and give us those five-star reviews because that's how it makes it so more people can find us. And as always, don't worry. Just execute because we got you. Thanks for joining us for the Sales Leadership Podcast, your weekly pipeline to the most successful thought leaders and rainmakers in sales. Make sure to check out additional episodes at salesleadershippodcast.com. The Sales Leadership Podcast is produced by Brian Jepson and is sponsored by Exvoyant, the modern sales leadership platform for salesforce.com users. You can visit Exvoyant at exvoyant.com.